Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within the town. I'm your co-host, Albert Lamb, and with me is our other co-host. I'm Drew Tan. So, last week we discussed The Nail, and this week and we're going to continue it with the sequel. Uh, we're going to discuss Another Nail. So, uh, that is going to be our topic for this week's episode. But before, but before we go into that and, you know, discuss it, we're going to start up with a warm-up question. What you got for us, Drew? Well, seeing as how The Nail and Another Nail are both Elseworlds comics, I thought it'd be fun just to talk about uh, our favorite Elseworlds comics. Uh, so, like, well, I guess not just Elseworlds, but What If also. So... You know, Marvel's got What If Comics and DC calls them Elseworlds. So I'll, let's start with uh, the Marvel comic first. What What is your favorite What If comic? So we talked about this a little bit um, offline prior to starting the tonight's episode. But I was going to say that uh, when I think about alternative universe series, What If... Uh, oddly enough, is the, the, the title that looms larger in my mind. I think in large part because it just had a cooler name. Uh, you know, it was, there was something catchy about What If. Yeah. Um, but in terms of better stories, I, I'd have to say that Elseworlds actually came up with the better stories. So. Yeah, I think I think a big part of that was because with the What If series, that was a monthly comic. And, you know, when it first started, they were asking interesting questions. And then after, when you get to, like, you know, issue 40 or something, let alone issue 100-something, you kind of run out of good questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just devolved into... <laughs> like the most random, inane... Yeah. Just, yeah... I mean, like there's... some of the early stuff was was fun, right? Like you get you would get things like, "What if Conan was in the regular Marvel universe?" <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's something I want to see. <laughs> and then you end up, in that comic, I think there was a scene where where Conan Conan ends up becoming a pimp, and he has you know the stereotypical pimp costume, and he's got a, a pet jaguar on a leash. Exactly, modern day Conan, if he. If he existed in the modern world, he would have been a pimp. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was a pretty bizarre look, too, because, like, he was he was a very, like, specific... He was the pimp of a very specific era. So, from what I remember, he had, like, a white disco tracksuit or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, he had these bell bottoms, and <laughs> it was just... It was pretty bizarre stuff, man. It was, it was funny. It was funny. Yeah, yeah. And then by the yeah. by the end of it, you would be getting things like, "What if the Avengers had lost Atlantis attacks?" And that's not something I ever wondered. Yeah, yeah. I didn't care about Atlantis attacks. The regular, like, yeah. the original <laughs> incarnation. Why would I care about an alternate version yeah. of Atlantis attacks? What does that do for me? Absolutely nothing. nothing. Yeah. I never read so, it. I never read that one, but I yeah. bet you that how how it ends, I bet you everybody ends up dying. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the times that's how these uh 
what if stories end up going because I don't know. I, I, I feel like it wouldn't surprise me if uh, the writers that they got to write those stories were in a position to, you know, they were basically told, Hey, this is your chance to do, to do whatever you want. And um, you know, what, what, what's more hardcore than having everybody killed? Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, what's a, what's a better way to show the severity of the stakes and uh, of the story than having everybody die? <laughs> exactly. And, yeah. and the thing about uh, Elseworlds comics is that they tended to be longer projects. Even the one-shots, they were at least 48 pages. So yeah, you were, the stories had a little more room to breathe. And then, you know, things like the nail, that they were basically, you know, three issue prestige format issue uh, stories. So that was a, practically like a six issue miniseries, you know, in and of itself. So between that and the sequel... It's about 12 issues worth of comics. Yeah, and I was even going to say that I do feel like, I, I don't know if this was a purposeful thing or what, but in terms of DC, uh, the creative people that they put on, on these Elseworlds stories, I don't know. It, the maybe, ideas seemed to, they were they were usually more interesting. Like they had more substance that you could actually tell Right. A longer story. And I mean, maybe I shouldn't say it like that, but because I, I do think that some of the Marvel what ifs did have a substantial uh, premises, but because they might have been limited to fitting everything in, you know, a shorter number of pages, maybe that had an impact on what they could do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Would you say that the creative teams that they put on Elseworlds were of a different caliber? Or would you say that... Because I can't really remember too many of the creative people that worked on on What Ifs. Uh, yeah, like... I mean, a lot of the What If comics, they were just... They, they were probably like tryout comics for newer creators or just yeah, creators yeah, yeah. That, that weren't like their heavy hitters. But... Yeah. Even then, you would still have some big names every so often. Like, I, I remember uh, Frank Miller did some, right? Oh, did he? Like, yeah. See, I didn't even really, I wasn't even fully aware yeah, of that. He, uh, in the midst of his Daredevil run, he, he did uh, What If Elektra Had Lived. Oh, yeah, you're right. That was and, and there was another awesome. one. Uh, I, I forget if this was the exact title, but it was What If Matt Murdock Had Become an Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Hmm. That that one I'm less familiar with, but yeah, those are yeah. I think those are in the omnibus. So yeah, you should uh, okay. go back to them if you want. But uh, there might have been some other ones that had uh, notable creative teams. I just don't really remember because I don't I don't own too many what ifs, so they're not really comics I tend yeah. to revisit. Yeah, I just remember a lot from when I was a kid. Yeah, it's. It's a fun, like, mental exercise that they turned into a comic. Yeah, yeah. You know? Sometimes and, if I'm in a quarter bin sale uh, digging through some boxes and I find something random that's vaguely interesting, I'll pick it up just for the heck of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally, totally. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, back to, like, the original question of yeah. uh, my favorite. What is your what favorite if what if comic? Uh, so, my... 
I guess the, by default this counts as my favorite because it's the one that um, I remember the most. But uh, it's What If Volume 2, number 91. It is drawn by – it was written by Joe Kelly. So there's a pretty big name right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and penciled by – it just says Nelson. Mark Nelson. Uh, so it was penciled by Mark Nelson, inked by Chris Ivey. Uh, colorist is – Tom Zuko. Um, yeah. So the premise behind this was, and uh, this was another thing that we talked about before we actually jumped on the, on, on the podcast tonight, but in this era of what if comics, they didn't actually give you titles. They just said, what if, and yeah. it would be starring whoever it was starring. And then they kind of gave some uh, indicators what the, what the premise of the what if could be but you know as a young uh as a teenager when i was looking at these i maybe i i just wasn't fully formed yet so i was like looking at these and i had a hard time i struggled to figure out what they what they were about (laughs) so so the cover for this one is you see um an energy being and then you see uh a man and it says, what if starring the Incredible Hulk and the, there's an arrow that says the man pointing at the creature and then the monster is pointing at uh, the figure of Bruce Wayne. Oh, I mean, Bruce Banner. Um, so <laughs> I guess in short, the, the premise would be, what if the monster was Bruce Banner? So yeah, that that's... And... Um, it had really cool art. I remember um, that uh, Mark Nelson's art was... I, I wouldn't say that it's uh, classically what you would consider um, comic book art to look like. It, it felt more... There was a lot more texture to it. It felt more adult. It felt more painted almost from what I remember. Um, it wasn't your typical job or superhero comic. It wasn't, yeah. Like, and I wouldn't even—I would even go as far as to say, like, it—it it wasn't um, superhero style art. It wasn't meant to be superhero style art, you know. Uh, like, the closest thing that I can think of, like, looking at it is—I want to say, like, it's a poor man's, like, not even poor man, but like, it. it mimic some of the texturing of like Sinkowitz or something like that you know oh okay bill sinkovich yeah yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if you like feel the same way but um i could see but, that yeah yeah so yeah exactly and this uh this was one of those comics where it really did feel like it kind of took that twilight zone formula which was we're gonna you know, take the Hulk and we're going to, well, maybe not Twilight Zone formula, but we're going to take the Hulk. We're going to put him into a scenario where we're going to tell an alternate universe story with him. And it's going to have a downbeat ending, basically. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I mean, most I, what if were downbeat endings. That's true. That's true. I don't really remember uh, too much about this issue um but the the primary things that i walked away with was that 
Um, so you still, it's still basically the story of the Hulk. Uh, you know, Bruce Banner gets exposed to a, a radioactive blast or some sort of radioactive burst of energy that allows him to split himself into two personas, which is Bruce Banner, the man, and this energy being, which is, you know, uh, which is ultimately a manifestation of his humanity. Mm -hmm. And the thing that's messed up from what I remembered was this version of Bruce Banner, he was... He was basically a sociopath because he was so driven to, um, I guess, receive resources for his research that I, I want to say he ends up he ends up using the energy he ends up unleashing this energy uh, projection of himself mm-hmm. and uh, he he releases it into these environments where it would unwittingly cause damage and then he would absorb it back into his body and use that as evidence that the military basically needed to uh, increase his funding so that he could capture and destroy this creature. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and then from what I remember, I think Betty Betty uh betty ross who is uh who is his in the regular 616 universe uh betty ross is his is bruce banner's girlfriend and one of the pillars of his support so in this uh alternate world she finds out what bruce banner is doing and i think he kills her like he chokes her to death because he doesn't want her to reveal his secret and that's just how much of a psychotic bastard he is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's pretty grim. Yeah, and it ends yeah, it ends on this note where um the Hulk or, you know, the, the energy projection manifestation of Bruce Banner's humanity ends up going on the run while Bruce Banner is, you know, he's basically it ends with him sitting high and mighty, uh, you know, receiving funds from the government so that he can continue to live high on the hog while stirring up hatred mm-hmm. for this creature that is essentially him. Yeah. That I I think I do have a copy of that. Uh yeah. I got to dig it out, but uh I'm pretty sure I got that because of you cuz I remember <laughs> you've uh that was something that uh you know you shared and enjoyed yeah oh nice i didn't realize that uh you had gotten it because of something i had said yeah dude nice. i respect you man nice nice <laughs> i'm like surprised man <laughs> when you when you say that you dig a comic i got to i got to check out that comic for myself when you've gone as long as i have without the respect of my fellow man <laughs> When I'm essentially an emotional Quasimodo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what about you, Drew? What uh, What is a what-if comic that has uh, stuck with you throughout these years? Okay, so my choice for favorite what-if comic is 
what if Karen Page had lived? So this was also from uh, an era when they stopped uh, numbering the what if comics. Because I think by the by the time the late 90s rolled around, I think what if got canceled. Yeah. But every once in a while, Marvel would do these, do a few one shots that were what if comics. So this is a one shot that was published, I think, in a, I'm looking online right now. And it says that it was published in uh, December 2004. Mm. So this was right in the midst of the Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Maleev run. And if you guys are familiar with the Bendis Maleev Daredevil run, the run that preceded them uh, was basically the Kevin Smith and Joe Quesada run. And in in that story, uh, Kevin Smith killed Karen Page, who was Matt Murdock's uh, longtime love interest. So by the time Bendis and Maliv took over, he had this hole in his heart where his lost love was, and his life was just continually continually spiraling downwards. Mm. Uh, not necessarily because she was dead, but just because, you know, he's Daredevil, <laughs> and that's just that's just how life is for him. Right. So this "What If" comic. Was by was written by Bendis. It was not drawn by Maliv, but drawn by Michael Lark, who's another one of Bendis's pals. So Michael Lark penciled and inked it, and Dave Stewart was the colorist. Corey Pettit was letterer. And this was a sh- short story that just it, yeah, it just explored how Daredevil's life would have turned out had Karen Page lived and. It turns out that uh, his life might have been even worse if he lived. <laughs> so, so what happens in the original story is that Bullseye and Matt Murdock, I mean, Bullseye and Daredevil are fighting. And in the middle of their fight, Karen Page uh, gets killed. So Bullseye actually somehow gets his hands on Daredevil's billy club while they're fighting. And he throws it straight at Karen Page's chest and that kills her. Yeah. And in the what if comic, what ends up happening is that she somehow survives, but ends up in the hospital, obviously. Mm. Daredevil goes nuts. And uh, did you read this one, Albert? Do you remember this? I did actually. Yeah. Like I, up until the moment that you mentioned it, I had forgotten that, uh, I had forgotten that it existed, and you're right, it is one of the better ones. Um, yeah. One of the things that I remember most about it was at the beginning. So the, the interesting thing about this What If is it opens with Brian Michael Bendis, the writer of Daredevil, in a bar essentially telling the story as the narrator, I believe. Is, is that right? Is it? I, I can't remember. Like, I, I was thinking about that. I mean, I don't have the issue in front of me right now. I was thinking about that. But I know he, around the same time, he also did a, a what if about Jessica Jones. And I think yeah. he might have done the same thing in that one. I don't remember if he yeah. did it in both of the comics. No, because I, I, I want to say that he did. Uh, like, I'm, I'm like 60% certain that that's what he did. Cause, uh, so he did yeah. it in both of the what ifs he wrote. Yeah, just kind of as a nice, like, thematic flourish. 
Yeah. 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 It might have been one of those things where he he drew or uh, the artist drew uh, all yeah. three of them, right? Like it was Michael Lark, Bendis, and Michael Gatos all in a bar, and they're talking, right? Yeah. Some I like I again. It's been a while since I read it, but it was one of those stories that after reading it really stuck with me as as something to be held in um high regard just because of the quality of it you know this this wasn't you know what if um what if the hulk had killed wolverine or killed the hulk or whatever yeah um but I was going to say one of the things that jumped out about it uh, to me uh, when I did read it was one of the lines, and I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember it exactly, but uh, yeah, I think it, it it's at the end of the, the comic, but uh, so the comic ends with Brian Michael Bendis sitting in a bar and he's talking about everything that we've, you've just witnessed. And he basically goes, everyone assumes that if Karen Page had lived, that, um, you know, his life would have turned out better. Uh, yeah, uh, but, oh man, I, I, like I had the, the quote or the, 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 the spirit of the quote on the tip of my brain, but <sighs> I, I just lost it. But essentially what he was saying was, <clears throat> yeah, everyone assumes that um you know his life would have turned out better or he would have been a different person had 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 one set of circumstances changed changed just slightly but i think the the gist of it was sometimes you're just destined to to sometimes you're just destined for bad luck <laughs> you know yeah like things just are are destined to be bad um if if you're daredevil apparently <laughs> yeah so what yeah. what happens in this what if comic is that karen survives bullseye's attack but daredevil goes nuts that she almost died and he he ends up beating up bullseye and learns that the kingpin was the one who gave bullseye the information that led to the attack so bullseye ends up going to the kingpin's place and in a rage manages to kill kingpin and and then he gets uh you know he's he's he has one of those moments where he's like what have i done you know he, he can't believe he killed somebody in in yeah. anger so wait matt, matt murdoch daredevil. huh daredevil kills you mean daredevil kills kingpin right yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, oh did i not say that i think you might have I don't know if uh, I, I, you were just, I don't know if I just caught a snippet of it, but it, for I think my mind registered you as saying, "Bullseye killed Kingpin." No, no, no. Daredevil is enraged and he he goes to kill Kingpin and and he decides that uh, as a murderer, as as he's committed murder, he has to respect the law and go to turn himself into the police. Gets put on trial and ends up. Uh, being found guilty of murder of some sort. I forget what degree or whatever, but he ends up getting sentenced uh, into prison, sentenced to prison, and basically lives in prison th all the way through his prime years. And 
I guess you just see scenes of of uh, some of his friends and associates uh, visiting him while he's in prison, but yeah. Karen never visits visits him after she gets better. And what ends up happening is she just leaves town, um, and no one ever heard from her again. And it's hinted that her life spiraled downward also after what happened. And if you guys have read Born Again, uh, you know that her life has spiraled pretty down, pretty far down in the past. So it sounds like uh, more awful stuff happened yeah. to her. And Matt Murdock never saw her again. Uh, and then eventually, I guess he was released uh, either. I think, yeah, it was before his sentence uh, was fully served because he had good behavior. Yeah. But he ends up, you know, he's just an older man at this point and in no shape to continue his activities as Daredevil. And the world's just passed him by because he was in prison for so long and he just wanders around the town or his Hell's Kitchen. And and uh, it just kind of ends on that down note where it's like, yeah, it uh, it would have been nice if things had turned out a little better, but they didn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, like I... It, yeah, he almost it almost feels like he ends up just being a ghost or a cautionary tale that just walks around the city. Yeah. Um, just kind of haunting waking life. And um, yeah, like I remember one of the things that uh, I remember is um, even when he's in prison, he, you know, he still has this sense. He's still a hero at, at his core, in his heart. So, you know they talk about how the government comes to him and he does what he can with uh, either his powers or with his yeah. legal mind. He helps uh, in his cases by giving yeah, him information or his thoughts. Exactly. Exactly. And um, yeah. And then it's like you said, he gets released, but the, the world's passed him by and he just shuffles around just, a ghost of his former self. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's quite bleak, but it's quite good. It's quite yeah. Good yeah. It's, it is one of the better what ifs. Yeah, that's definitely one worth tracking down if you're uh in a back issue bin or I guess on Comixology or Marvel Unlimited or something. Mm-hmm. What about uh your favorite Elseworlds comic, Albert? What's your favorite Elseworlds? DC? So for DC, my favorite Elseworlds is gonna have to be Superman Red Sun. Uh, this was written by Mark Miller, and a I wanna let me. I'm still getting the uh, creative team, the the artist behind it. Uh, the artist behind it. We had a couple, but it was Dave Johnson who was a big deal because. Uh, he was a guy who drew a lot of covers for 100 Bullets, and his covers are just amazing. So to get him like actually doing issues was really kind of cool. Red Sun, uh, did Red Sun predate 100 Bullets? I don't remember. I, I no, I, I want to say 100 Bullets was going on while while Red Sun. Uh, oh yeah, you're right. I'm looking at it right now. It's it was 2003. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. You know, he was already kind of known for his covers at this point. And again, so they, you know, to get him to do issues 
uh, was kind of a big deal. Yeah, interiors was kind of a big deal. Unfortunately, uh, from what I remember, he wasn't able to keep up with the schedule. And um, yeah, Killian Plunkett ended up doing the last issue. Yeah, but it was still a great, great comic. And I do think that the tone of it was it still fit with the book, even if Dave Johnson uh, didn't draw that last issue. Um, Like it wasn't. It wasn't so vastly different from, you know, what uh, Dave Johnson did that that it was, like, jarring or anything, you know? Well, mm-hmm. at least in my opinion. Um, the letterer was Ken Lopez. Uh, colorist was Paul Mounts. Um, and it's a pretty simple... Uh, alternative universe story but it just goes um what if instead of uh kal-el uh kal-el's rocket ship uh leaving krypton and crash landing in a farm in you know the midwest in kansas what if uh it had landed in a field in soviet russia and you see what the world would have looked like if you know they had a soviet superman um and it's just in short it's just a really it's it's a it's a fun crazy story about uh how vastly different the world would have been uh you know the the power dynamics of the world would have completely shifted you get to see uh alternate universe versions of some beloved characters um i and it even says i reread it again a couple of years ago cuz i i ended up buying the hardcover for it uh, for the longest time i only had the paperback nice but rereading yeah but rereading rereading it again I did feel like there was more subtext to it that I hadn't caught the first time, you know, just things that he was saying about the spirit of Superman, you know? And, uh, yeah, like, I don't want to give away too much, but just the, this idea that even when he's a communist (laughs) or even when Pinko commie, a red, even when he's a red, he's, He's still Superman at his core. He's still, you know, about truth and justice. Maybe not the American way, but um, it it definitely has a Twilight Zone-ish ending where it it leads you to believe one thing, and you know, Superman ends up um, renouncing. Like I'm not I'm I'm not gonna give away too much, but he ends up renouncing and. You, you think it ends up being like this, yeah, we won, you know, <laughs> and uh, it, it ends up, it ends up turning out that even in doing that, if we had just listened to him on some level, he was still right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, yeah. Uh, that is my Elseworlds story. Did you did you have any thoughts on on a uh, Red Sun, Drew? Well, it, that's a comic I like a lot too. It's definitely uh, 
one of my favorite Superman comics in general. Like if we were to do a an episode where we talked about the evergreen Superman stories, I think I'd include that. It's it's nice. an like I mean it's an Elseworlds comic, but it's still a really good Superman comic, and I think you can still say something about the character even in an alternate universe kind of tale. I mean, yeah. after all, they're all imaginary stories to begin with. So, yeah, what what does it matter? Um, yeah, I I really like that comic too. Uh, for all the reasons that that you shared, the I there are some things about the plot that I don't remember as clearly because it's been a couple years since the last time I read it. Uh, but it is also something that I'll just pull off my shelf every so often just to flip through and and look at the art. Because I, I do like Dave Johnson's art and Killian Plunkett's art too. Like, mm. yeah, even though it it kind of irks me that they had uh, two artists for a three issue series. I guess it's it's not as irksome as it could have been because at least both of the artists are really good artists. Yeah, it would have been weird if it was like. Dave Johnson is going to do these first couple of issues, but as filler, we're going to get Jim Lee to do that third one. Yeah, yeah. I would like, have just been like, what is happening here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Killian Plunkett's style isn't too far off in terms of aesthetics from Dave Johnson's, so it, it definitely yeah. was a... Uh, I don't know if it was seamless, but it, it, it worked out, you know? Like, it, it's... Yeah it doesn't lose anything because of the transition in the artists. Yeah. I mean, I, do I also, wonder if, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I do wonder, you know, if, if it's the artist equivalent of like, uh, you know, um, like on the field intelligence or whatever, but like if his innate ability to look at Dave Johnson's work and see what stylistic things flourishes that he could apply to his work to make it as seamless as he could make it you know because i i don't know i i can't say that every artist has that level of self-awareness when they're drawing and so so i do wonder if that was something that he took into account yeah i'm pretty sure he did because i think i would i would assume a lot of artists at least the ones who take pride in their work if they know that they have to, you know, substitute for somebody, they're probably going to take a look at the previous artist's work and see what what they can do to make it uh, a smoother transition, you know? Like, yeah, yeah there's also going to be some artists where they're like, there's no way I can draw like how that guy drew, so I'm just going to draw it the way I draw. And mm. sometimes that's fine, but I, I do think that there are points where sometimes the second artist comes on and, and, uh, you know, he'll look at the previous guy and, and think, I don't want to make it too jarring. So I'll try to, you know, smooth out the transition by, yeah, by, uh, just drawing in a, in a way that isn't too, like it not necessarily mimicking the guy because that never works out well either when you just try to copy another guy's style. Like, but but I think there are certain elements where, where as the artist, uh, you know, the artist will probably try to figure out the best way to approach 
the next issue without making it seem like there's a completely different tone, you know, like you don't want to have a tonal shift in the art because that's going to affect or even ruin the story. Yeah. 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 But I've, I've, I've also seen it some, in some comics where the fill-in artist tried to imitate the other guy. And, and that's not good either because then it just looks like a poor man's version of the original artist. Yeah. And that's, that's probably just as bad as someone who, who just uh, shows up and doesn't give a crap about uh, what it looked like before. What's an example? Like, um, yeah, good. Is there, do you have an example of something like that? Um, not off the top of my head, but I would say that's the kind of stuff that I used to see happen a lot in 90s Vertigo comics. Mm. I think a lot of the 90s Vertigo comics, there would be times where, um, especially in the longer running series, where sometimes an artist would come on and it wouldn't really be his best work because... Oh, okay. He, yeah, here, here's an example. Like, there were times when uh, Mark Buckingham, and he's an artist I love. You know, he's like one of my one of my top twelve artists, personally speaking. But I, I do remember there were times when he would come on after Chris Bacolo. For a long time, he was also uh, Chris Bacolo's inker, so I think he really knew Chris Bacolo's style. And if you look at uh, the like, for example, the Neil Gaiman death miniseries. Uh, he did those two death miniseries, right? So with those, uh, Bacolo did one of them. And then the second one was actually, or maybe it was part of the second one, was actually penciled by Buckingham. He he definitely tried to do it in a style that looks just like Chris Buckingham, or that looked like Chris Bacolo's style. Well, huh. I'd, I'd have to check that out. Now you got me curious because I never actually read those, but yeah, and it piqued I, my curiosity. Yeah, and he he also did the same thing in a uh, shade, the Changing Man, because there were times when when uh Baklo, I don't know if he couldn't keep up with the with the schedule or if it was planned or whatever, but I know that uh there were times when Buckingham did some uh fill in art uh and. It didn't look like Buckingham's normal style that he draws in. It it looked more like him trying to do Chris Bacolo style. And I'm not even going to say that that art was bad art, but I think that's an example of where I would have preferred Bucky to have just drawn the way that he normally does, you know? Because mm-hmm. he, he has a really good style on his own, but I understand why he made the choice that he did. So yeah. it it does show you that the artists who take pride in their work they they do think about those things you know like they know when they're called in to kind of pinch hit for the regular artist because of time constraints or whatever yeah they 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 still try to do a good job by taking these different approaches you know sometimes it is trying to trying to imitate the previous guy so it looks seamless sometimes yeah. it's just a job where they just draw it how however they normally draw it and sometimes it's something in between. Yeah. And I, I'd, I'd say uh, with Red Sun, Killian Plunkett kind of did something in between. Nice. Okay. Nice. I did borrow uh, the Red Sun movie from the library recently. I haven't watched it yet, but I, I got to check it out. 
it's on my wait list, so I'm hoping to check it out as well. Maybe if you return it, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll catch your copy. I should just uh, pass it straight on to you, man. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> oh, man. So, Drew, what about uh, you? What's uh, What did you select for your favorite Elseworld comic? I just got to go with Kingdom Come. Yeah. Kingdom Come uh, by Mark Wade, Alex Ross, and Todd Klein. So... It's- this is a yeah, it's a it's a massive story. It was a four issue prestige format miniseries from nineteen ninety six. Alex Ross painted it all. It's a, I guess you could call it a Justice League story. It's really a DC spanning kind of story. Yeah. Basically the the plot takes place in at some point in the future when all the heroes are a little older. Uh I don't know. They're probably in the in like their fifties or sixties, yeah. um, so they're older. But the there's a new generation of younger heroes who are more violent and not afraid to kill bad guys. Yeah. So remember, this was made in the nineties, so it's also kind of a commentary on what was popular at the time, which was the grim and gritty kind of superhero, just vigilantes that that uh, weren't afraid of taking the law into their own hands to the point where they would execute criminals. Yeah. You know, like all those, a lot of the the image characters were violent and didn't have any qualms about shooting up the bad guys to death or anything like that. But that's not how these uh, traditional DC heroes are. So it's kind of a story about what happens when these two different mentalities clash. Um, And you've got different factions of superheroes from, different generations uh all assembling and 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 uh the story yeah it just intensifies as you see what happens when all of these different groups uh want to show the world that their way is the correct way mm. yeah i it's it's totally a great comic and i do feel like it's something that a lot of people point to as kind of a milestone in comics, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's it's definitely one of DC's best superhero comics. For sure. For sure. Um, yeah, I I feel like I could go at length on, on, uh, on kingdom come and what it had to say about comics. Uh, there's, there's just like so much, uh, so much con, uh, just so much content to cover there. Just in terms of uh, the subject matter of like what it means to, like what it means to have heroic ideals. You know, like yeah, like exactly. How do, what what how do like how do you maintain heroic ideals in the in in the face of a changing world? Uh, I guess is how yeah how i would put it and yeah i don't i don't know man i I feel like as more time passes uh there's just more to say on on that because it's like you said this came out in the 90s and the 90s was kind of the hot period for the anti-hero and the vigilante Um, Mm -hmm. uh yeah the the idea that you know 
Golden Age and Silver Age heroes were ineffective and in order to combat a much more severe and serious society, we needed a much more uh, severe and serious kind of hero, you know? Yeah. And, and yeah, and this was in the 90s and you know, us being 20 years out from there, there's, uh, I, I'm, I'm hard pressed to say that there has been much change in that trajectory. <laughs> like, I don't think, I certainly don't think there was a correction back to anything more wholesome. Uh, after no, that. And, and if anything, you can tell that DC didn't learn anything from this book. Yeah, they didn't, and I, I I might even go as far as to say that even fans didn't learn anything. Yeah, I think I think even the average fan probably missed the point of it. Yeah, I, I'd say so. They um, probably saw the spectacle and were caught yeah. up in in the violent action and stuff. But the yeah. you know like that that's the kind of person that that reads this comic and then just thinks it's cool to see Captain Marvel and Superman fight, you know? Yeah. There's, there's like no, more depth to the story than, than that. Yeah. For the longest time, I think that was the biggest takeaway because for, for a while after that, it always felt like it, it was kind of the same thing after uh, Dark Knight Returns where everybody was like, Batman and Superman fought. And then for a while after that, you were constantly seeing um some variation of like batman and superman at odds with one another yeah and then i feel like after kingdom come kingdom come came out you would see a lot of uh comics or well not necessarily uh, a lot but i i felt like there was a period of time where people were pitting superman against captain marvel just because they wanted to see those two guys fight <laughs> yeah I don't feel like we see it quite as much now, but like in the immediate years following Kingdom Come, like it was uh it was something that I had seen on multiple occasions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so those are our favorite what if and Elseworlds comics. Yep. Now uh we can get on to the main event. Yeah. So we are here to discuss Justice League of America, Another Nail by Alan Davis. Alan Davis was the writer and the penciler. Mark Farmer is the inker. John Callis is the colorist. Pat, Pat Prentice is the letterer. This was originally a three-issue prestige format miniseries published by DC Comics back in... Uh, 2004 i believe at least well that's when the trade paperback came out um last week in our previous episode we talked about the nail another nail is the direct sequel it takes place about one year after the events of the nail it does start off with uh some plot thread it picks up with the plot thread that was uh shown briefly in the original story which was uh 
the war between New Genesis and Apocalypse. So it, it starts off with this big battle between those forces and you get the Green Lanterns thrown in there. Uh, and what ends up happening is at the end of that battle, uh, Darkseid is no more, but apparently he was trying to do something uh, with energy to... to uh, it's not really explained uh, until you get later to the end of the story, but he was preparing for something that was coming towards uh, their universe, basically. And then this, from there, the story goes back to Earth, and you see that one year later, uh, Superman has integrated himself into the Justice League. Uh, Batman has stepped away from the Justice League because I guess he feels bad about having killed the Joker, <laughs> so he doesn't feel like he belongs there. Yeah. Basically, I'm not going to go into all the details about what's going on with every character, just the the very basic summary and synopsis of another nail is that it's a crisis in the DC sense of the term where this is a story about the different uh different worlds different dimensions different timelines hurtling together uh and crashing in on themselves basically and and it's up to the justice league to figure out how to stop that from happening. Yeah. Yeah, that's the that's the essential bare bone summary. Uh you have anything that you'd wanna add to the story? Um, I guess I'd also say in regards to Superman, it, it it does one of the aspects of the story is it kind of explores uh his humanity and, and how his life has changed since officially becoming Superman because in the previous story, he he wasn't Superman. He was just living his life as an Amish farmer. <laughs> he was an anonymous Amish farmer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Try saying that ten times fast. <laughs> An anonymous Amish farmer. <laughs> his name is Sarah Paulson. <laughs> or his name is John... Whatever, anyway. Rob, Robert Paulson. Robert Paulson. <laughs> um yeah i yeah i i don't really have anything to add to um the synopsis i i will say that it was it it did feel easier to sum up uh the nail because uh the original nail really just had one premise which was in short what if superman was not around in to to be there for the dawn of the silver age of heroes uh you know to kind of lead to be there as an example with them and to be the figurehead for and for all of them but and maybe this is uh is telling of how like rigid i can be from time to time but uh another nail doesn't really have at least I can't tell overtly, uh, but another nail doesn't really follow that same uh, original conceit. 
I, I think if I, I think I'm using that word right. But, yeah. Well, it, it um, doesn't it doesn't have like one. It's not easy to just sum it up in like one simple sentence. Yeah. I mean, I think again, this is a testament to like how like rigid my my thinking can be. But like by calling it another nail. So okay, one one admission that I have to make is I this time around reading it, this was the first time I'd ever read it. So I read the nail like years ago. Um with and we mentioned this in the last podcast, but I read it years ago, I bought it years ago, and it's something that I had read multiple times since I bought it. But I was aware that another nail had come out but I never actually read it until uh, this past week for the podcast. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, like, I'll, I'll be honest just as a personal omission of mine, but I think there was a part of me that felt that I, I, I felt like the nail by itself was all I needed. So I, I didn't really feel like, uh i i'm maybe i didn't feel like i needed another story in that universe i was content with the nail as it was yeah so so having read this um you know it's 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 a fine uh story like alan davis is great but um yeah like by by titling it another nail there was a part of me that expected it to have that same original conceit but it's kind of hard to do once Superman has now been introduced. So it, it's really just another story in that universe. Is what yeah. Is. Yeah. Like, so you're saying that the title kind of implies that there's going to be one more thing that's going to cause some big difference in their universe. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, and that, I guess in that way, the, the title is kind of uh, a trick sort of, right. Like, because there isn't, there isn't one thing that happens in the story that prevents something else from happening that we would have expected. Exactly, exactly right? Because, yeah, you, you, you hit it right on the nail. Uh, <laughs> Come on, Albert. <laughs> You're killing me. <laughs> I'm not trying to make enemies here. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, because... That that's the original idea behind the first um, Elseworlds series. So uh, when they announced the second series and when they gave it that title, there was a part of me that was like, "Oh, is is it still going to follow in in the same vein as that first story?" And, yeah, and like, they didn't what if, really do that. What if what if uh, Wally West had stepped on a nail and didn't become the fl- the kid flash, you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that. Right. But yeah, this, this comic is really just a continuation of the world that was established in the first book. Right. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. Um, the first time I read this, I don't remember exactly what I was expecting. I don't know if I consciously expected, uh, thought that there would be another instance of, you know, that one thing happening that prevents something major from happening. Yeah. Uh, I I read this 
when the trade first came out back in 2004. Uh, I, th- I want to say I'm pretty sure I bought it around Christmas time at the Isotope one day or that oh. year, um, like sometime in December. Uh, I just really wanted a superhero comic at the time. And yeah. I knew that I had already read the, the first book, so I just thought it would be good to get this one. Um, yeah, I liked it. Uh, I'm trying to think if I liked it, how I'm, how much I liked it back then. I think back then, uh, probably liked it just as much uh, as, as the nail, as the original. Uh, I think reading it the second time around, I think I would say I recognize that the nail had had the more uh, unique premise, and I I don't know if this story works if you haven't read the first one, but I I still probably prefer another nail over the nail just because I think the art's better. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Like I I think the. I don't know. It's there's just something about having uh, a sequel to that story where part of me recognizes that the nail in and of itself was a complete story and didn't really require a sequel. But the fact that he gave us one uh, and explored uh, the characters' lives uh, in the aftermath of what happened earlier. I don't know, there was just something satisfying about seeing it and it gave him an excuse to draw even more characters that we didn't see in the in the first book. Yeah. Yeah, it just it definitely did explore uh more of the DC universe uh that we that I I didn't even that I hadn't even realized or thought about uh like in ages like well, what's that group? What are they like? The, what are they called? They're not like the Fearsome Five or something, are they? Who are you thinking of? They're they're just like they're they're a team of like jesters. They're they're kind of jobbers. Like I I forget what they're called. There there's a number in the team name. I don't even remember. Wait, they were who did they end up fighting? Well, that's the thing. They didn't even end up. They were they were one of the multiverses, but uh, they they didn't end up fighting anyone. But you know, it was kind of like what you had mentioned with Ragman in the previous comic. Like, you know, he he got like two panels in there. Yeah, I think he's in one panel in this one too. Yeah, he was in one panel in this one too. So, um, you know, it was. Yeah, uh, there's there's constantly more universe to explore, and if Alan Davis can is is given the opportunity to draw it, all the better because you know his art is pretty spectacular. Yeah, it's just a fun book to look at, man. Like I'm, yeah, it's it's a book that that even before we decided to read it for our podcast, I, it, it's something that I just pull off the shelf every so often just to look at the pictures. I do think that in terms of the writing, uh, it it's still on the same level as the first book. Like there are still some uh, points where I think the dialogue is a little bit 
too expository. Like it, it's more expository than than uh, it needs to be. Um, I guess because there's so much happening, though. Like this is a sprawling uh, universe, multiverse kind of spanning story. So there's a lot going on. Uh, but but yeah, there there's a lot of people explaining what they're doing sometimes. Um, I, I guess to me, I don't always feel like I need to know everything about everyone's motivations. I don't need it all like spelled out for me. Like I'm, I'm okay making some uh, educated assumptions here and there. Um, and it's, it's interesting to see that he would actually uh, write so much dialogue even though he's the artist, you know, like it, it's, I wonder if that's, that's just uh, him being more comfortable as an artist and, and not being as comfortable as a writer, because I, I think if somebody else had written the story for him, they probably would have trusted his art more uh, than he trusted himself in a way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's yeah. like, yeah, just kind of wordy at times. Yeah. Um, I will say that I mentioned this in the previous book, but I, I don't think the I don't think the exposition was something that bothered me quite as much. Uh, I I guess having seen the worst versions of it, yeah, like, this this version is probably the best version of that kind of writing. Yeah, it's it's not Chris Claremont wordy or anything. It's not, not Chris Claremont, it's not, it's not Marv Wolfman. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not super uh redundant like they are. It's Yeah. I would say like his his exposition leans more on the side of uh the dialogue just feels a little bit unnatural at times. Like there there's some parts when people are talking and and explaining a little bit more than I think uh, they actually would if they were just talking. Yeah, yeah. And um, and uh, he also does that thing sometimes. Um, and I noticed this in the previous book too, where when he's introducing new characters, sometimes he'll try to make sure that they always say each other's names. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's like... I'll it's admit like, that there were times, because I don't, I, I don't always remember like all the characters, even if I've, I've read uh, something with them like a couple of pages earlier. So there were times where I, I was like scanning the pages for stuff like that, just because I was like, what's this guy's name again? <laughs> <laughs> what, you, you can't remember who Geoforce is? Um, I couldn't remember. I, I, it took me a second to remember Halo. And uh, what was the other guy? Like some Astral Doctor? Was that what it was? Ask, yeah, it was something like that because I remember it was like two words, but I was like, I don't, I have no clue who Astral Doctor is. Actually, I, I don't even think it was Astral Doctor. I think it was Astral something. I, f I forget what Astro the Mage. might have been Astral Mage. Oh yeah, yeah, that sounds right. That sounds right. Yeah. Like, who this guy? Yeah. Who this guy? <laughs> <laughs> Never heard of him ever. Yeah, I just found the page where it's Halo, the Astral Mage, and Firestorm coming yeah. in. Like, I don't need it for Firestorm because I know Firestorm, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I have, I've never heard of Astral Mage prior to this comic, and I've never heard of him since. 
<laughs> That's funny. He actually shows up in more panels than Ragman. He does. He does. Which is, uh, it's weird, man. It's weird. It is, yeah. It's kind of um, unfair. Uh, it's not fair. <laughs> How can you be, be on the council and not be a master? <laughs> um, the other thing that I was going to mention about this uh, was I do feel that another nail to me personally was a little more disjointed than the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I think because the the plot of the first one revolved around a an anti meta human conspiracy theory well it it revolved around the yeah it revolved around the conspiracy theory, so they kind of had their tendrils and everything, and there was like that connective tissue there, but with this it it just felt like you had all this multiversal stuff, and it wasn't until the end where like you know they reveal like what what was the cause of um all this chaos yeah so i think yeah for the longest uh for for a lot of the story it just felt like i was jumping from like thing to thing and scene to scene yeah scene to scene and i really wasn't sure or it, it didn't really feel like there was a cohesiveness to to everything up until you get to finally that that last moment. Yeah, it felt yeah, it just felt more disjointed to me. Yeah, was, this this comic definitely leans more towards spectacle than the previous book, I would say. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of uh, cosmic stuff going on. I I think the first issue. And the way the first issue starts is probably my favorite part of the story because that that's the story that's the part of the story where it's just exploring the war between New Genesis and Apocalypse and how the Green Lantern Corps respond to it and it's he gives a pretty substantial amount of space to it like it's got to be at least like yeah. I don't know 20 pages or so No I I actually agree with that that it's probably the tightest part of the comic uh like, because you don't, you do not see the Justice League for a good long while. Yeah. When you're reading that that first chunk. Yeah, and then from there, the the book kind of just it does go f- from scene to scene because he he tries to include so many different characters in the story, and they all have some kind of role to play in the upcoming conflict. So he he spends like, I don't know two to six pages at a time on all these different characters, like the justice league splits up. And so you see like, you see them doing things that they're doing on their own or in duos. And then you see uh, a couple of other groups of other uh, superhero teams here and there. Um, And and then you see Batman and, and uh, Selena Kyle, who's now Batwoman doing stuff. And it's it's weird. Like sometimes you you'll see like there is this whole scene where Batman and and Batwoman were fighting Poison Ivy, and it it, it just felt like they gave that scene so much. He gave that scene so much space when it didn't really seem like it was that consequential to the overall yeah. plot. Yeah. yeah, 
I mean, even even the I, I'd even say the Batman story overall was. I mean, I get that it tied into the first Nail story, and it was a follow-up for his character, but I don't know. I I guess it did feel kind of weird having him deal with essentially, like, demons from hell. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and, And then, like, tying it into, like, the main multiversal threat. It was, uh, yeah, I guess uh, maybe I just didn't see what the the connective tissue there was, but yeah, anyways. Yeah. You want to, uh, speak freely about the story now and just like completely spoil things as we talk about it? Yeah, man, we can go into it, you know? So for those of you who've listened up to this point, if you're satisfied, um, you know, with with what we've said, and you want to go check out the comic, we we uh, recommend it. It's gorgeous art, and it's just fun superhero spectacle. Um, but after this point, we're just gonna talk about everything, and you're welcome to join us for that ride, or or not. All right. So you were just alluding to uh, Batman fighting demons from hell, and uh, yeah, the the whole that whole sequence where. Uh, the Joker comes back so they can have one more battle that yeah. I think, you know, this wasn't the first time I read it, but then, uh, so I kind of, I, I, I remember that happened, but when I was rereading it this time around, I couldn't remember, uh, why it happened. Like I, I couldn't remember, uh, what this had to do with the rest of the story. And it wasn't yeah. until like the very end when, I was like, okay, I guess I can kind of see how he tried to, how Alan Davis tried to tie everything together. Yeah. I think it still was a little bit messy. And there are some other elements about the ending that I I think were a little messy. But, uh, you know, it's the ending. So I don't know if you want to discuss the other stuff in the book first before we get to the ending. No, we could just go into it and just kind of go where the discussion takes us I, you know i don't i don't i'm not so rigid that i need to follow the order so strictly okay so the the revelation of the limbo cell near the end of the book it's 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 this gigantic i don't know amoeba like or organism that somehow uh just absorbs everything in existence on every dimensional plane and it's just yeah. causing chaos in yeah. in all the all the universes and dimensions. It's weird, and it's like draining all the energy and stuff. And near the end, the the heroes uh, discover it. Uh, I don't know that. I thought that was that was a a tough way to tie it all together. Yeah, yeah, especially yeah. Because it, it didn't really feel like so much of the story, the the heroes are just spending all this time wondering what's going on, and they're they're really not coming up with any clues or anything to yeah. determine why all the energy from uh, is being sucked away. Like the the Green Lantern power battery, the energy source on Eugenesis, uh, even Superman himself, for, something is just draining uh, their energy. Yeah. And it, it feels like 
the heroes are just trying to figure out what's going on, but they're not really doing a good job of figuring it out until the end when they finally see it with their yeah. own eyes. And that kind and of brings it, it all together. Yeah, and it just feels like they, they're all kind of meandering into like random incidents that are just occurring. And, you know, like the flash goes off and he runs and then all of a sudden he pops into another dimension where he's dealing with the crime syndicate of America or whatever. And, um, yeah, like, I, I guess because it's a multiversal threat, you can say, okay, like, uh, all the different things that they were dealing with were uh, the different dimensions that were popping in and out. But at the time when I was reading it, before you get to the, the worm itself, yeah, it, 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 I, I felt the same way that you did, which was, like, it, when, when they finally reveal that it's a worm, it's just like, oh, that was pretty convenient (laughs) (laughs) you know um yeah uh yeah it it, it probably wasn't um the the strange thing is is that i don't think it was something that alan davis just it's not something where he wrote himself into a corner and just decided that's what he had to come up with to get out of the corner because if you actually look in the first issue he, it is uh, foreshadowed. It, yeah, he does plan it because um, even Darkseid, like once you get to the end and the, they reveal that Darkseid, Darkseid knew about it and he had created a weapon yeah. uh, to destroy it. Like that, that structure in and of itself is telling that he had set it up. You know? Yeah, there's even a, there's even a line of dialogue early on when when uh, Darkseid and Desaad are talking, and and Desaad talks about how he analyzed the limbo cell, yeah, which is what they're calling this thing uh, at the end of time. So it, it's it's just strange that the the heroes feel like they didn't. It just feels like when you read the story, the heroes don't have a clue what's going on. You know. I guess they- feel like they kind of drift yeah the course of the, the comic just from they the all they all kind of go on their separate adventures basically yeah and and they just get together at the end it might have been more effective if they had gotten back together a little earlier so the story could have uh slowed down for for those developments and just allowed allowed things to I don't know, just give it more space, give things more space to to develop. Like the other big thing that I thought was undercooked was the change of heart that Oliver Queen had. Like yeah, in the- like I wasn't sure, like, so in the first comic, I I wasn't sure if he was just deranged from like, the his injuries or whether they the conspiracy had gotten to him you know because you know they were mind controlling people they were mind controlling lex in that first one so um yeah i guess that was just who he was <laughs> you know yeah <laughs> and uh and yeah he he had this change of heart where he was just like well i'm in this amazo body now so I guess we're cool. Yeah, it's like now that I'm in the Amazo body, I can be a hero. 
It's like all all the bitterness and the anger that he felt was just wiped away off panel, you know? Like there was he never had a moment where he paused to reflect on all yeah. the things that he had said or anything like that. It was it was all just he was he was dying and then off panel uh Dr. Will Magnus transfers his mind into the Amazo body. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he's feeling uh coherent again. You know, he's he's not uh spitting bile at the other superheroes. In fact, he ends up becoming the guy who sacrifices his life in order to save all of existence. Yeah. Yeah. Um Yeah, it was uh, cuz because I feel like you see him briefly early on when he's in his basically in his hospital bed uh, and, you know, dying or whatever. And then the next time you see him is you, you kind of see him throughout the comic in like in silhouette or like off panel a little bit. Mm-hmm. But the next time you really see him again is when he's in the Mezo body. So it, it does feel a little abrupt. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's pretty abrupt. Yeah. The, another the another funny thing, oh, what were you about to say? Well, the other thing I was going to ask you was and may, this might have been something that I missed, but Yeah. Uh they were talking about the one. The one? Yeah, like do, do you remember that that element of the plot? No, I, can you be more specific? Um so in in the early part of the comic where um you know Darkseid has decided he's just gonna scorch the earth and destroy everything. Yeah. Um one of the things that they mentioned was that there was someone called the one, you know? And I wasn't sure if they were referring to Superman or if there was like some other entity. Like they referred to it a couple of times later on in the comic book in 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 another nail as well but i i wasn't really sure if they ever like fully addressed it as you know by discussing who that was or what they were referring to or like if there was any sort of revelation as who the one was Uh, i don't know i I don't remember that uh okay i need to point me to a specific scene so i can look at the look at the page yeah, let me let me grab my copy real quick. But what were you gonna ask? I was just gonna say uh, another thing about the ending that I thought was funny was after uh, Oliver manages to destroy the limbo cell and save all of existence, Flash comes back to the present time and he's like, "Guys, there's trouble, tr- big trouble coming." And then Martian Manhunter's like, "Yeah, we know, but it's over." <laughs> <laughs> You know, like, the fastest man alive is late to the party, dude. Right. That is pretty funny. (laughs) Uh, There are some... uh, Oh, yeah. Go ahead. I I was just going to say that I'm... Like, it's too much to look for, so I can't... I can't really find it at the moment. But anyways, I'll I'll let you know if I do find it. But what do you say? Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say that there were some pretty uh, amusing moments 
throughout the comic that that just made me smile. Like the scene where um, Superman and Martian Manhunter fight Evil Star and Despero. <laughs> like, like first of all, Evil Star, man, that that dude is a funny idea for a villain. Like he's he's a Silver Age villain, I think, who literally wears a star in his face. <laughs> <laughs> when he calls himself Evil Star, but uh, uh, the really funny thing about that fight is that, sorry, what? He's another character that I had never heard of in my life. Where I was just like, "Who? Oh, you never heard of Evil Star, dude? Come on, man! Wow, man. He's, he's one of uh, isn't he one of Green Lantern's deadliest foes? Is he? <laughs> That's what I thought is he was he? supposed to be. I like I. See, that's I, I will say this, like it'd be fun if they brought him back. I'd I'd be on board with that. <laughs> oh no, he's he's a Wonder Woman villain, I think. He is? Jeez. Well, let's see. I'm looking him up on uh Wikipedia right now. And I guess there were two different evil stars and there was a Golden Age one that, that fought Wonder Woman, but there is a the one that we see with the purple and blue costume. That one is the guy that's the Green Lantern villain. I mean, I guess it makes more sense for him to be a Green Lantern villain, but... Dude, the natural enemy of the Amazon is the starfish. (laughs) (laughs) You should write Wonder Woman 1984. (laughs) You should have been the guy who wrote the script. (laughs) Why is she fighting Cheetah, man? Evil Star would have been the right villain. This guy creates small versions of himself to attack his enemies. <laughs> See, like I didn't even fully understand his power because, like, I I saw him with like a laser gauntlet. I was like, okay, I get that. He's the dude with the laser gauntlet, but why's he got these like little dudes hanging around with him? Because he's evil, Star. Yeah. What do yeah. stars do? Like, starfish reproduce. You know, you cut off a little bit of them, and then they just create more versions of themselves. I don't even know if he's a starfish-themed character. Right? Like, is he? No, he's he's okay. based on an evil star. Okay, That's why he calls right. himself Evil Star. But there's that the splash page where uh, Martian Manhunter is fighting off the little versions of Evil Star, and yeah. Superman is using his heat vision to to burn uh, Evil Star's star brand, star band. Yeah. And then while Superman is looking at Evil Star to use his heat vision, he just gives a no-look backhand to Despero. And the way yeah. that Alan Davis drew that page, Despero is like, he's getting messed up. It looks like his <laughs> neck got broken. <laughs> I, I I liked it too. I mean, I, I remember seeing that and you just see like flecks of stuff flying off his face. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love those little details, man. It, it, yeah. Those are the things that I enjoy about these superhero comics. There, there's just so much stuff where if you look closely, it, it's pretty amusing. Yeah, yeah. His art, his art's fun in this, man. It's uh, it's good stuff. Were there any uh, moments that you thought were highlights or lowlights, even? Well, I'm going back. Well, okay, so 
I'm going back to like some of the earlier scenes that we were talking about and I do think that some of my favorite stuff was definitely the war between Apocalypse and New Genesis and the the intervention of the Green Lantern Corps Corps. Um, yeah. One of one of the scenes that I really like is just so when Darkseid decides to uh basically scorch the earth and wipe out so so basically Darkseid has decided that there is someone in his midst who is a traitor and traitor traitor and he's decided that you know the only way to deal with that is he's going to destroy all his enemies and all his allies so that he can you know destroy whoever the tra- so that the traitor will be caught up in in the destruction it's the only way to, to guarantee that um that they'll die mm-hmm. and so dark side uh he takes this suit that desad has been working on and he he dons this suit and he uses the suit to just absorb all this energy around him and he just grows massive and it's just a really cool spread because you're just watching him like basically dwarf a planet and he's just yeah well well, the thing that i okay so so the thing that i didn't mention was um so barda and uh, mr miracle come in and they're fighting with with dark side and they do actually end up messing up the suit and as a result of them messing up the suit he's just absorbing all this energy and he's growing like super super big and it's just it's pretty epic to watch you know just there's yeah. this one page spread where he's just grown so big. Really a two page spread because his arm is on that other page. Yeah, it's yeah, exactly. And it's just crazy to look at. That's probably one of my favorite images in this comic. Yeah, some of the spreads in this comic are even more impressive than the one page splashes in the first book. Like yeah. there's that that another two page spread in, in the in this book. Um, near the end, when I think I remember the one you're talking about. It's another one of those yeah. cosmic battle scenes, right? Yeah, it's like when everybody is uh everybody in existence is like entering the same area, basically. Yeah. And you have like uh, there's like all these different characters. Like you see Omac really prominently on on one side of the page. Yeah, and yeah, all yeah. The yeah. Characters are floating around. Like yeah. you've got. Adam Strange, which is funny because Adam Strange died in the first book. <laughs> right? <laughs> he, yeah. he got caught in the bubble and he was, was basically suffocating in space. Yeah. And then yeah. You, you see, uh, like, Sergeant Rock, the Golden Age Starman. Yeah. Uh, the Challengers of the Unknown, Supergirl, uh, Plastic Man, some of the Legion of Superheroes. Uh What's that one dude's name? Uh, is it Animal Vegetable Mineral Man? That dude? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's, it's there's just like all this stuff flying around. It's a bunch of it, it's it's a collection of a bunch of obscure and not so obscure characters, but it's kind of fun to see in it of itself just the imagination going wild, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think my 
but going back to uh, favorite scenes, I think that scene in the beginning is, is probably my favorite too. Um, the war between new gods. Because that was something that we saw a little bit of in the first book. But yeah. now that, that whole battle is expanded on. And I really like what he did with Big Barda and Mr. Miracle. They're two of my favorite DC characters for sure. Yeah. And I thought making making uh, Barda a Green Lantern where Mr. Miracle escaped death by entering the Green Lantern ring and her mother box fused with the Green Lantern yeah. ring. That, that's some uh, pretty creative stuff right there. Yeah. And, and yeah, just the way he, he draws them is always really fun to look at. She's right. She's got power. And like that first scene where she shows up with the ring uh yeah the 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 coloring is really well done and it's it's just a cool moment after all the torture that she and scott free had to endure it's like a, a nice moment of triumph when they finally defeat dark side yeah the other thing that i wanted to mention in terms of uh what i did appreciate about this book was uh, so we mentioned in last week's episode that um, so Superman shows up and it turns out he's been hiding amongst the Amish community for you know his whole life. Yeah, his whole life basically, and you know by the end of the story he he finds out that uh, it, so by the end of the nail he decides to uh use his power that he's been keeping a secret within the Amish community to fight uh the Kryptonian infused Jimmy Olsen. So you don't really get to see him too much. Uh you don't see uh Kal-El slash Clark uh whatever I, I think they even mentioned that his name might be Carl in this universe, but Yeah. <laughs> but um but you it's don't a really good, see solid Amish name. <laughs> but you don't really see him too much, you know. You you see him in that final battle, and you see him like step up to be Superman, and then once the battle is over, it it ends with uh, a spread of the Justice League and Superman prominently in the center, right? Mm -hmm. So we when we talked about it last week, we were I I did mention that. I was kind of curious to see what an Amish Superman would be like or a Superman who'd been raised among the Amish. And the thing that I appreciate about what Alan Davis does when he's writing this version of Superman is like so often we see Superman as as like this shining example, you know? Like every time I think of Superman in like the these other comics, he's he he's noble, you know? And mm -hmm. not to say that this version of Superman isn't noble because he certainly is the, the 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 superman in another nail is definitely noble but there's a meekness to this superman that i don't really feel like i see in other comics you know like, yeah I'll, I'll say that superman in other comics is humble but he's certainly not meek you know and yeah this is a superman where he's he doesn't even really uh, have that much familiarity with the 
world in general, like just basic uh, American culture or society. Yeah. yeah. There's a, the whole subplot where where uh, Martian Manhunter tells him to take some time off because he's exhausting himself, and you know he should he should uh, get in touch with his humanity by by uh, spending some time with humans in in regular life. So he he spent some time with with uh, Lois Lane and Ma and Pa Kent. Yeah. And he takes him on a date basically and they go to the movies and he's like, "Oh, that was the first time I've ever seen a movie." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Amish, but it's just one of those things where where uh Clark Kent in the normal universe grew up on a farm, but I'm pretty sure he saw a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the the other scene that I was thinking of was, so he's about to get awarded, uh, you know, for oh yeah, for all his superheroics, and they're making like a big deal of it, and like everyone wants to just celebrate him and shower him with praise, and he's just like I'm not saying like in my heart of hearts, if there was a scene like this in like uh in the regular DC universe, like. I don't think it'd be the sort of thing where he would, if he was, if, if Clark Kent was uncomfortable, it's not something that, that would, that would like shine through, you know? Right. He, he as Superman would be able to, to, to go out and, uh, essentially do a, he he can handle himself in a PR situation, right? Yeah, absolutely. But, but this Superman, like, and, and I appreciated this because it it sticks to the logic of the Superman that he wrote for this world, and this Superman, he he just wants to get that speech done. He just wants to show up and get out of there as quickly as possible, you know? Yeah. He he didn't even really give a speech. All, all he did was stumble over a couple of words and then say thank you and fly off. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's like clearly thousands of people out there in the crowd expecting some kind of speech or you know something more than that. But he just made something it super stirring. awkward. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they were expecting him to do something stirring and you know to be a you know a hero that people can look up to. And he's just I I'm looking at it right here. He just goes, thank you. This is an honor, more than I deserve. It's enough to be able to help. And there are a bunch of pauses, too. And he just goes, I, I, thank you. And he just flies off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, that, that's, that's awkward. Yeah. Socially awkward. Yeah, and I think that that was a cool way to portray Superman, you know? Like, it, again. So, it, socially it, enough? Well, it adheres to the logic that this Superman grew up in an enclosed Amish community. Yeah, but I don't know? think all Amish people are socially inept, though. Yeah, I, I don't. Kind of I don't up. Uh, okay, that's fair. Like, I, I'm not gonna presume that they're all <clears throat> socially inept, but what I will say is, it's it adheres to the logic that. Superman would be overwhelmed by this coming from that sort of a community. He is overwhelmed, sir. Exactly. On some level, 
there's a part of me that wishes or not wishes but that that thinks of um on some level there's a part of me that thinks that imagines a universe where another nail was was an elseworld story about what if superman was amish (laughs) 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 like if that had been the 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 trajectory of the second story arc i would have been cool with that that would have been (laughs) yeah totally man totally that would have been interesting to me even the little snippets we see here those are still interesting to me it it's uh it is the speech situation or the speech scene that is something where i can just imagine something like that happening in real life you know like if somebody was given an award and they just didn't know what to say and they just like said yeah. thanks and ran off the stage <laughs> while all these people were watching that that would be pretty funny to to watch on TV. Yeah, totally. But if I were, you know, if I were that person's friend, I'd I'd probably feel embarrassed for him. I'd be like, <laughs> "Dude, why did you do that?" <laughs> it's like you ever see anybody give a really really bad best man speech? Uh, I don't think I've witnessed it in person, but it's not. It's not something outside of the realm of uh, outside of the realm of possibilities. So, like, yeah, outside of the realm of my imagination. So, it's totally something I could imagine. Yeah, yeah. That that that's that's kind of what that speech scene made me think of. <laughs> Just something yeah. super awkward where everybody in the crowd, you know they're kind of held captive because they're not the ones with the microphone. But then when somebody yeah. just does that and f- runs off, <laughs> kind of just makes you wonder what's everybody doing now? Like, are they just milling about or going straight yeah. home? <laughs> How um, anticlimactic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, it's just this huge day that they're like, we're here to celebrate Superman. Everyone's just amped and like excited for, you know, for Superman, for the the great hero who he spent a year like just performing all sorts of feats and uh saving their lives. Acts, yeah, acts of heroism, you know. So everybody's just ready to celebrate and then to have this like one uncomfortable moment that just kills it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's definitely something amusing about that. Yeah. Any other scenes that you want to remark on? Um, no, I, I, I think those were some of my favorite moments. Um, yeah, did you have anything, Drew? Uh... I will say, uh, in regards to uh, Alan Davis's art, I don't, I don't know if we uh, mentioned it in the last episode, but I, I, I think he draws some pretty attractive women. He does. His Power Girl is, uh, well, Power Girl is always kind of hot, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, pretty much everyone he draws looks pretty nice, like Big Barda. And uh, Wonder Woman, Black Canary, yeah. Lois. 
It's like he he just draws um people that look like I don't know, like they're just assembled off like a an assembly line where they're just producing perfect looking people, you know? Like all of his yeah. uh all the heroes, all the men, they're they're like just either they're really Adonises. Yeah, they're all Adonises basically. They're all just super cut and they have a like perfect bodies. It's incredible. Yeah. And the way he draws anatomy too, it's like they're not uh ridiculous looking with muscles on muscles. They just look yeah. like they have perfect bodies. Yeah, yeah. I was oh yeah, there was another scene that I thought was pretty funny. Yeah. When uh Superman is visiting with Lois and Ma and Pa Kent and they're just on the farm, right? And then Eclipso comes to attack him. And oh, then Lois yeah. beats up Eclipso. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's uh, yeah. And then like, and then Pa Kent hits the dude on the head with a shovel <laughs> and then hog ties him. <laughs> look, I'm I'm just gonna say it, but they whooped his ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they totally did. Eclipso, man. I mean, and this is a supervillain. This is Eclipso, and I, he's got I'm powers. Pretty, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's he's fought the Spectre. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, did I imagine that? I don't, I I think that did happen. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's uh, like he dude even had a event centered around him. Yeah. Uh, I think it was called like Eclipso Rising or something like that, where he was like taking over the minds of everyone in the DC universe. The darkness within. Is that what it was called? You're talking about the thing from the 90s, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember that, that one. Yeah. That was that was uh, the first, one of the first DC comics I clearly remember as it was coming out. Nice. Because it was in all the, all the annuals that year yeah. yeah it was a well i'm not gonna say it was a big event because I, I don't think anyone remembers it now except for me and you <laughs> yeah i haven't seen them do an eclipse of the darkness within omnibus yeah well i know it's weird we're getting acts of vengeance but we're not getting that <laughs> yeah what's up with that <laughs> or invasion yeah well so I, I had a similar experience, and I feel like I've mentioned this on the podcast a few times before, where um, when I was a kid, my dad used to run, like, a 99-cent shop, and he would go to flea markets, and he bought, like, boxes of comics, and mm -hmm. we would sell these comics. And I remember, um, you know, there was a ton of, like, I'll be honest, in retrospect, looking back at it, it was it was junk, mostly, right? But yeah. I do remember seeing, like, a bunch of random issues... Uh, that were tied into the, I guess, the darkness within, apparently. And um, at the time, as a kid, I didn't realize that I needed to collect all of them in order for the story to make sense. But, <laughs> but I read them anyways, and I was just like, oh, so there's a guy who, who's, you know... Like, I would see... Like, I would read the comic, and then there would be an instance of someone being mind controlled by Eclipso and I'd be like, Oh, why does this keep happening? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it didn't occur to me that this was like a, a, a crossover event sort of thing. You know, I was just like, what is going on here? This just keeps happening. What, what, what's happening? You know? 
So, but apparently, uh, Lois Lane and Ma and Pa can't can beat the crap out of him. Yeah, <laughs> they they messed him up pretty badly. Yeah, Lois Lois knocked him out with the judo throw, and then Pa Kent came with the with the shovel, man. Yeah, and they were just like. Don't you ever come after us again. <laughs> like, no one threatens my wife and guests. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. There was one scene that I feel like... Um, that I feel like is worth mentioning. It, I, I like the idea of it. And um, it's basically the end scene with Oliver Queen where... So the... The, um, the 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 what's it called again the amazo no the uh the the amoeba thing oh the limbo cell the yeah so the limbo cell so the limbo yeah the limbo cell is like messing everybody up and you know no one can get close to it but amazo can because i guess uh the amazo body allows him access to all of the superheroes or to the abilities of any superheroes or super beings that he's come in contact with. So he's more... And it also has the energy absorption capability. Exactly. So he can kind of fend off the the effects of the limbo cell. And so he's flying in there and it's just this moment at the end where... Uh, where what does he say i'm looking for the moment so he he flies in there and he has dark side's doomsday weapon and he's used his powers his various powers to basically form a weapon for himself and and what it is is it's basically a bow and arrow yeah he's gonna fire into the heart of the limbo cell and uh I'm looking for the the line that he says, but uh, yeah, right, you mean right when he shoots the arrow? Yeah, yeah. Here, here it is. So, so he's flying towards it, and you know, all these super beings can't do anything because the limbo cell is just going to mess them up. And he's since he's the only one that can get even remotely close enough to like basically dealing the killing blow. Uh, he's flying towards the, the heart of the limbo cell and the caption reads trapped. He prepares to launch. He prepares to launch the doomsday device and smiles, smiles that the fate of the multiverse depends on man's oldest weapon, his weapon, you know, mm -hmm. like there's a, it's it's a nice little moment of glory for Oliver Queen, you know, and it's it's a funny thought again that all the superheroes are incapable of uh, even getting close to the to the to this cell, but yeah. you know he's gonna get in there and he's just gonna use a bow and arrow to kill it. <laughs> yeah, here's a question too um, about that specific scene where yeah. you read the caption. Um, so we mentioned in last week's episode how in the original book 
uh, Alan Davis made the conscious decision not to use thought balloons or captions. But here in this scene, the very climax of the action, there, the, it is uh, narrative captions being used here. And I was wondering if you took that uh, to, if you took those captions as though they were from just an omnipotent narrator, or is that the phantom stranger speaking while Oliver is doing all that? Huh. That's a good question. Like, I think I, I initially wanted to say that it's an, just an omnipotent narrator. Uh, I, I still think that that's the case because it'd be pretty bizarre if, you know, he's just standing next to, if the Phantom Stranger is just standing next to everyone and describing what's happening. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't imagine that he'd be describing what's happening. It might be him speaking to himself. Or, but I, I instinctively I want to say that it's just an omniscient narrator. I, I don't think it's the Phantom Stranger. Was there something that gave you an indicator that it might be him? Uh, it's just that at the top of the page, the Phantom Stranger is talking, and then um, there's that scene where they're all looking at Oliver flying into this limbo cell, and Phantom Stranger says, I can see. Oliver Queen's speed continues to increase and then there's some ellipses and then from there it goes straight into the narrative captions. Yeah. And um, But the, the first narrative caption starts off with another ellipses so I wasn't sure yeah. if that meant that the Phantom Stranger is continuing to speak and it's, this is like a voiceover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get what you're saying. Yeah, because it's, it's just strange to me because he avoided, Alan Davis avoided using captions the entire time um so for him to suddenly bust them out at the climax that that's kind of a strange decision to me yeah um i think just as a way for me to reconcile it for myself i probably i think the more poetic thing is that i am i envision that the phantom stranger he he um he has that pause and just stop speaking there so that they can all observe in silence as uh, Oliver Queen goes and does what he has to do. And, uh, you know, the narrative captions for, you know, if I presume that it's a omniscient narr- narrator speaking it, like for me, that just makes it more effective emotionally. Mm-hmm. So, so I think just out of preference, for the sake of preference, uh, that that's probably what I'd go with. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. You know, one more thing that I forgot to say about Alan Davis's art. Yeah. He's really good at drawing people smiling. Like anytime he draws somebody smiling, they just look like they're having the time of their lives. It's like, That's they're true. just radiant, man. Like every, whenever yeah. he draws characters smiling, they just look really happy. And I don't know. There's just something fun to look at when he does that. That's true. I, I would happen to agree with that. Like they're just, they're pretty joyful, right? Like, yeah. You know, just watching like the flash smile or green lantern. 
it it just makes their innate goodness just shine through even more you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah but I dig it man I dig it one thing that Alan Davis couldn't do though he still couldn't make a Mezo's costume look good <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've never liked that design for a Mezo. It's a it's a pretty weird design. Uh, he's showing off his chest, and his pants go up past his belly button. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, it's just a weird design. I don't know if there was ever any decade where that was a cool look. <laughs> I mean, like when I watch weird... old movies and stuff, I never see people dressed like that. Uh, yeah. Part of me wonders what the what the inspiration for something like that was. You know, probably like, a he... circus strongman or something. Yeah, that's what I, I was know. thinking too. Was like, that's the only way that that even remotely looks familiar. Yeah, like a circus guy or a or a wrestler. Yeah. Do you like yeah. Amazo with Oliver Queen's facial hair? Uh, not particularly. Um, when when that guy smiles, he he looks kind of perverted. <laughs> Oliver Queen or Oliver Queen Amazo? The Oliver Queen Amazo with the facial hair. Right. Right. Yeah, man. Uh, I'm taking a look at this. Yeah, he's a uh, he's a little disturbing to say the least. <laughs> if I saw that dude smiling at me, I'd walk the other way. I'd be like, Ugh. yeah, <laughs> yeesh. Oh man. Uh. You have any final thoughts about another nail? I um, I guess well one quick thought is I'm looking at this panel right here where um, they go to uh, they go to the universe where Captain Marvel slash Shazam exists mm-hmm. and it does make me wish that Alan Davis had drawn a Shazam Shazam Captain Marvel comic oh yeah that would have been fun yeah I would have enjoyed that. Didn't you tell me that uh, in the deluxe edition that you have, he he writes a little something at the end of the book where he he talk he mentions uh, a third book that never happened. Yeah, uh, so it was in the forward, but uh, like I I read it and I don't really remember too much of uh, what he had said in the forward. But one of the things that I did walk away with was that uh, one of his regrets was that he never got to do the third book, which was the final nail. And so that was something uh, worth mentioning. Um, I do kind of wonder. So another nail makes some, it makes sense because it feels like there were uh, plot threads that he had introduced in the nail that he didn't expand on. And he did expand on that in, in another nail here. So I do kind of wonder if he had stuff that he had put into 
the into another nail that he was intending to to finish off for that final book. Yeah. I think I think it's pretty stupid that DC never let him finish it or never gave him the chance to to do that last arc of his. Yeah, I don't know why. Really unfortunate. Because they hate yeah. us. Yeah. I mean, it's either that or it's because they're incompetent. They're incompetent idiots who hate us. <laughs> okay, there we go. <laughs> there we go. Hating us is the only thing they can remotely do with some competency. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll, I'll give you that. And for that, I hate them from the very bottom of my bowels. Nice, man. Yeah, no problem. So Yeah, it would have been interesting to see what he would have done. Uh, I, I couldn't tell you. I'd have to think about what directions he could take a third story in but yeah it's okay i mean i'm i'm still satisfied with what we have i'm just yeah absolutely. disgusted with dc because they're idiots who hate us <laughs> when isn't there a time that they haven't found <laughs> some way to disgust me <laughs> do you want to go into uh books that we would recommend uh, that are either Elseworld, other Elseworlds uh, comics or other works by Alan Davis? Yeah, man. So here's some books that I would recommend to anyone who enjoyed The Nail and Another Nail and you just want something else to read that's, I don't know, that kind of taps into the same vein. I mean, the obvious thing is to look at Alan Davis's other comics, especially the ones that he wrote and drew himself. So first thing I would recommend is his run on Excalibur when he wrote and drew it. So Excalibur is a Marvel comic. It's an X-Men spinoff from, from uh, I guess it started in either the late 80s or early 90s. But his Alan Davis's run, he actually has two runs. Like he started as the artist when Excalibur first began, but Chris Claremont wrote those comics. So that's not the run I'm talking about. The run I'm talking about is when he came on board as the sole writer and the artist, which is in Excalibur number 42. So he wrote issues 42 to 67. So if you go, if you want to look for those, you can look up the trades, uh, at, at a store or go on comiXology and just type Alan Davis Excalibur. You can find uh, the Alan Davis Excalibur visionaries trades on comiXology and three volumes gets you the whole run. So that that's some really great artwork, great storytelling, just fun, fun stuff, man. Like that's, that's a superhero comic that I would say is a real gem of the nineties because we all know that the nineties was, you know, it was such a, it was just bereft of really quality superhero comics, but that's definitely uh, one of them right there. Yeah, agreed. And another good uh, Alan Davis comic that he wrote and drew himself is Fantastic Four, The End. So this was a six-issue miniseries for Marvel that he did probably just a couple years after Another Nail. Uh, 
I think Mark Farmer probably inked that one too. But Fantastic Four, the end, it's, I guess you can think of it as another one of those uh, imaginary world type of stories where it, it takes the Fantastic Four and really the, the Marvel Universe, like far in the future where, where uh, you know, many years have passed and a lot of these heroes have grown up and had kids of their own who are now ready to become heroes themselves. And it just tells essentially what Alan Davis imagines as the final Fantastic Four story. Mm. So that, yeah, that's another fun story that I would recommend. Um, you have anything you want to recommend, Albert? Uh, yeah, I feel like in terms of his body of work, the nail might be my favorite thing of his. I, I never read his Excalibur. Uh, so I, I mean, you've, you've shown me images from that and I definitely want to check that out at some point. Um, I have read some of his clandestine. Uh, that was something that he, I feel, did he create them? Yeah, I believe he did. Yeah. So, uh, I, I don't have the specific issues for you, but, um, my, my basic understanding of what, what clandestine is, is it's a, it's a family of magically gifted, uh, beings uh like yeah like that go on adventures i i always understood them to be kind of like the the magical equivalent of mutants yeah like like x-men type mutants so you know instead of you know being gifted with the genetics to have superpowers they were gifted with uh they were like part of a species that was gifted with magical abilities um the other thing that i so this this is something that i i it's a little harder for me to recommend because i i I haven't read it but it's something that i want to check out which is uh he did a kill raven series uh oh yeah i'll go and that's it's basically uh a warlord of mars type of series where you know it's a swashbuckling space adventurer um he drew that so i i i'd want to check that out and you know if i ever come across that um Mm -hmm. at a decent price on comiXology or something yeah totally totally yeah um in terms of like elseworlds though you know i i thought red sun was really good um we mentioned that uh there are quite a few else worlds that are pretty fun but yeah uh, the the idea of a superman landing somewhere different that's always uh you know one of those ideas that people can take in many different directions so besides red sun there's another one called superman the dark side that was another three issue prestige format elseworlds miniseries that posits what if Superman, what if baby Kal-El had landed on Apocalypse instead of on Earth? <laughs> that one was, was pretty popular for a little while there. <laughs> yeah, 
that one inspired a couple episodes of uh superman the animated series, the animated series. Yeah. yeah the comic was written by john francis moore and drawn by uh kieran dwyer the art's really good the story's fun I, I would i would recommend it it's called superman the dark side but um it's not dark side like the like the, the character. dc characters called it's the dark side like like uh the dark side of the moon so it's yeah. spelled you know the normal way yeah. so look look that one up there's another one called superman last son of earth which is kind of a reverse superman story where instead of being uh sent on a rocket to earth from krypton he's sent from earth no wait instead of being sent from krypton to earth he's in this one he's sent from earth to krypton so it's a it's a story about him fitting in as a normal boy um in a society of you know advanced people yeah. that one is by uh, steve gerber and doug wheatley I, I like that one there's a sequel to that one called last stand on krypton i think i never read that i could never find it but last son of earth was a good story Hmm. and uh if you just want a justice league story i would say just start with uh jla from the 90s starting with the grant morrison run uh if you if you just read that volume of jla you go you can go from grant morrison to mark wade to joe kelly you know it's just basically 100 issues of really top tier justice league comics it's uh some of the best justice league it's probably the best Justice League stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. Uh, I, I guess I'd also recommend, uh, what, the Justice League International by JMDM? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely got a different tone, but that's uh, another great run of Justice, Justice League. League. Yeah. All right. Uh, anything else you want to say before we wrap things up? I uh, I believe that we have covered, to my satisfaction, everything that we need to say about another nail. Sounds good, man. I look forward to hearing from you tomorrow when you tell me you forgot to say something crucial. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Tomorrow, I'll wake up and be like, dude, when we were talking about our favorite What If comics, how could I forget that one story, you know? <laughs> there's, probably, there's probably something I forgot to think of. but Well, actually, now that you mention it, there is one thing. <laughs> okay, okay. I will say that one of the earliest What If comics that I can remember was... Um, what if uh what if hulk had killed wolverine and uh i only remember it because another kid told me about it and um they they built it up as this story where the hulk kills wolverine and as a result all the enemies that wolverine had made over the years want revenge uh so they go after the hulk and it just becomes this thing where the hulk kills everybody (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i don't know as a kid that i was into that idea but um <laughs> it is not something that has aged well 
say, as, as an adult, I think that's a pretty funny idea. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Do you have the, that comic? I don't have that comic. But the other thing that I remembered that um, always uh, caught my attention uh, was that not too long after that, they did one where... Wolverine kills Hulk? Exactly. And <laughs> it was basically the opposite story where all of the Hulk's villains decide they want to get revenge and come after Wolverine. <laughs> it's hard to imagine Wolverine being able to do anything against the likes of the leader and Abomination. Yeah. It's definitely a much shorter battle um, on paper. Or it yeah. should be anyways. Unless you guys out there, uh, you know, disagree, then you can message us and uh, let us know. And uh, we will verbally arm wrestle you <laughs> for, for the bragging rights. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. All right. I guess that about wraps up this episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. This is Between the Gutters signing off. Peace out. Bye, guys.